You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-hosts, Doug Curl and Sarah Arpin. What's up? Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Everything good? Everything yeah, we're good. we're good. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, today's topic is ask us anything. We've done we we did one of these before, and it was I think it worked out quite Rising well. Rising success, <laughs> success. Now, like I think like half of the questions were from my parents. Yeah, but so I'm we try to expand on that. Yeah, we really expanded this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we put out a lot of uh, requests on our on the KGS social media pages took questions from some attendees at our October Earth Science Open House. So we um, compiled all the questions and are going to try to answer those. And you'll hopefully hear some of those. Yeah. Interspersed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we divided up the questions. I'll go first. Uh, Three of us will answer some of the questions uh, together, but um, I'll go first with a few specific questions. Uh, The first one is from Stan Wyatt. It was via LinkedIn. I think he's in West Virginia. Uh, Could you you discuss the Findlay Arch and also Eastern Kentucky Fault System and its relationship to the east-west trending creeks and paleo liniments, especially the 38th parallel liniment? So that's a really easy one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> easy one right <laughs> off the bat. You took that one. So <laughs> I, I, I sort of, my answer is just going to really focus on the Finlay Arch. I did do a little digging on that. I think the Eastern Kentucky Fault System, we're going to have to table and maybe talk about at fault a subsequent episode, yeah. which I think would be cool. Yeah. I think we've kind of talked about that as an idea for an episode. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, the Findlay Arch, I never heard of this. Um, in the literature, the, the Findlay Arch is a mineral district in north central Ohio. It's a, a cluster of non economic carbonate hosted mineral occurrences. Um, hmm. The district um, and the arch, we'll talk about what arches are here in a second, um, are sort of bordered by the Appalachian Basin to the east and the Michigan Basin to the north. Hmm. Um, most of the literature I found on this, which is not a lot, um, discussed these mineral deposits. This was never a commercially mined area for minerals, but it's apparently an interesting area for um, mineral deposits. We'll get into that. Uh, But there wasn't a lot on the structural geology, and that was kind of Mm. what was interesting to me. so I asked John Hickman about this this morning, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah he's <laughs> he's a, a structural yeah. geologist here, knows regional structural geology. He was also on the Bourbon episode mm-hmm. that we did. What he's so notable for. <laughs> 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 so the Finlay Arch, in addition to being this mineral district, is an arch. Um, it's a sub-parallel hinge of the Cincinnati Arch. Okay. okay. So it's John didn't think it was an extension of the Cincinnati Arch, but sort of in a sub-parallel part, you know, hinge, he called it, sort of adjacent. Um, So, um, arches. So, arches are structural highs, right? We're not talking about rock arches in Red River Gorge or the St. Louis Arch. These are regional structural features. You can kind of think of them as 
bul slight bulges in the crust. Yeah, that's where the yeah the crust is yeah bulged up and large folded. Scale. Large scale so covers very multiple large. states. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's no yeah. real topographic expression. The expression is regional, and you'd see it in the subsurface um, over a broad area. So those are the arches we're talking about, and the Finlay arches sort of this hinge off of the Cincinnati Arch, which runs from Nashville up through Kentucky and into Ohio. Is that right? Well, I thought the Nashville Arch dome was different. Oh, okay. Um, but it's a similar type of structure. But, yeah, I think it runs up into Ohio. And in Kentucky, on the geologic map, it makes the geologic map look like a big horseshoe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it's the structural high, um, the Cincinnati Arches, that – that you know brought up brings up the rocks and those rocks that are brought up are eroded and it exposes the oldest rocks and that's why the oldest rocks in Kentucky exposed at the surface are in central Kentucky and then as you go out from central Kentucky they get younger because it's this arch feature um, so in a sense there is a little bit of topography that happens because of the rocks so the knobs are mm -hmm. are kind of the edge of yeah. of the bluegrass of you know these shales that um a little bit more resistant than the limestone um so it creates these knobs and then you get into the pennsylvanian which are younger um, sandstones and things like that but um that's the effect of the arch yes. is exposing the oldest rocks in the center of the state yes and and off of the limbs of the arch are basins so yeah the Appalachian right. basin, yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. illinois basin yeah those rocks gently dip away from the arch and um, have thick deposits of sedimentary rocks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so these are, these are stable, geologically speaking, stable environments, mostly mm -hmm. flatline uh, carbonates in the Cincinnati Arch and, and in up in Ohio in the Finlay Arch with basins dipping off of, of, of the arch. And that's, I think, structurally is what's unique about the Finlay Arch is it's uh, almost like a monocline, I think. And so the dip toward the east, toward the Appalachian Basin, is quite significant. Like your structural contours are really bunched up mm. right there east of the Finlay Arch in, in Ohio. And I think there's uh, some significant oil and gas production in mm. northeastern Ohio in that basin um, adjacent to the, to the Finlay Arch. So you've got these like complex tectonics and crustal stresses, fault control that, you know, make, make these regional structural features, these arches. And then you've got like diagenesis, uh, groundwater flow, stratigraphy through, through the carbonates and all, all of that. That's a very broad group <laughs> of, group of things. But all of that stuff does play a role in uh, extensive m mineral deposits that you find uh, in the Finlay Arch rocks. So extensive deposits of sulfide minerals and porous carbonate rocks. And it's mainly celestine, oh. a strontium sulfate that you oh find yeah. in carbonates up there, yeah. uh, which is pretty cool. Um, large abundant crystals were described from here as early as 1820, apparently like world-class uh, Celestine, even some fluorite, sphalerite, galena, marcasite, pyrite, um, and other associated minerals. So people were finding these in caves, uh, quarries, uh, any any openings in, in 
uh, oh, blue, Celestine? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's a it's blue. Kind of bluish. Cool. Really mm-hmm. Oh, do you know about it? I've seen it oh. in Carlsbad. There is some, but completely oh. formed oh. differently, I believe. Because there's a lot of sulfur. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I remember that. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I'm getting through to people. <laughs> um, so the principal host rocks are these like vuggy limestones and dolostones. Um, the range, like I said, from Middle Silurian to Middle Devonian. Um, the area has never been mined for minerals, so no, no oh. economically viable. They're just areas. It's yeah, it's just so it's big <laughs> for kind of cool collectors, thing. I guess. That's I think there was some collecting uh, so back in the day. Known amongst the collectors. As yeah, being, uh, yeah. Nice. Um, I don't know if anyone's collecting up there now, but yeah, I think it was for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. What else? I, I didn't find a lot. Like uh, I found a one paper in Economic Geology Journal from 1994 by Ernest Carlson that talked a lot about uh, fluid flow and mineralization. Mm. Um, but I, I didn't find a lot. Um, yeah. So We're that's cool. the Findlay Arch. Yeah. <laughs> it's on some old maps. <laughs> yeah, that's neat. <laughs> Good question there. But like I said, I think we'll get to talking about maybe near surface yeah, Eastern Kentucky faults in a separate episode. That'd yeah, be super that'd, fun. that'd be great. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next question uh, is from Chelsea Ballard from Tucson, Arizona. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. I know Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh. All right. Friends cool. and family. Also <laughs> a caver. Did, did she ask a question on the other one? I think that was Christian Dussel oh, that I okay. also know. <laughs> Neither oh, wow. of these people told me they were sending right. questions. I just mm-hmm. happened to know them. Cool. Uh, well, Arizona's far away, so I'll just take that as Woo-woo. like we have no, it's listeners all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> she's from Kentucky, which okay. is great. She but asked. She still like hangs with us. Can you do an episode on Kyrock Asphalt or any of the natural asphalt in the Western Kentucky coal field? This resource is no longer mine, but a great part of the geology and history of Kentucky. You're gonna have to take that one, Matt. I'm gonna take yeah. this on your research. Well, and my <laughs> first when I first started digging into the ans- to the answer here, I was like, this has escaped us as a topic to do for a whole episode. Uh, I think we could. I'm gonna do my best for an answer here, but. But I think we could make this a cool episode, and I know who the guest could be. I'll m- mention that in a minute. Anyway, uh, Kentucky rock asphalt, commonly known as Kyrock, is a coarse grained sandstone infused with bitumen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, bitumen is a, a variety of hydrocarbon, um, has a consistency of warm tar. So, c- picture a semi solid petroleum. Yeah type of liquid. I've seen these in outcrop. It's really weird because it looks yeah. like somebody splattered, you know, asphalt against a, a piece of limestone or something. Yep. You it's think like it's from a road. Out. Yeah, you think it's from like road construction, but it's actually oozing out of cool. the rock. The yeah. uh, the bitumen content varies uh, from trace amounts up to complete saturation of some, some beds. Um, this is also called rock asphalt, black rock, asphaltic sandstone, and tar sands. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, we're talking about silica sandstones with some amount of saturated oil bitumen, right, to, to make a kind of a bituminous sandstone. Kyrock uh, occurs in Edmondson, Grayson, Hardin, Breckenridge, Logan, and Warren counties in western mm. Kentucky. So in m- more places than I thought, yeah. you know, yeah. in the coal field or uh, on the edge of the, of the mm-hmm. coal field. Mm-hmm. Um, Deposits are in the lower Pennsylvania sandstones, Big Clifty sandstone, mm. Hardensburg sandstone, Caseyville formation, B Spring sandstone, and a Kyrock member 
of the Caseyville. Mm. Um, mapped units, so all those units I just listed, those range on the geologic maps uh, range from two and a half to 4.7 meters thick. So, you know, not, not very thick, yeah. super thick beds of sandstone. Um, so how does it get there? Tar sands develop from microbial degradation. So bacteria and organics introduced during deposition of these sediments degrade and become hydrocarbons. Just like oil. Just like oil. Yeah. And yeah, everyone go back and listen oil to episode. our petroleum geology episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got into that specifics yeah, of, yeah. yeah. Um, so then it degrades and it migrates into what we call reservoir rocks. Um, so you have this kind of porous sandstone, and so you have poor liming, poor lining bitumen um, that makes these rocks what are called oil wet. Mm. Um, and that is just sort of the environment that reduces effective permeability. So it's really not mm. um, great for recovery. So the right? oil doesn't move through the rock very well. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not... These are like crappy oil pools, right? Okay. Basically, where the rocks <laughs> just aren't quite yeah. good enough yeah. for pure petroleum extraction. But um, there's there's something about the porosity and the sandstone itself. Um, well, actually, let me before I get there, I'm a couple other things here. Um, commercial commercial rock for this is close to saturated, so you want obviously more bitumen in there to, to use, but there are ranges of porosities, uh, um, ranging from like three to 15%. Resources of, of tar sands in Kairok, about 3.3 billion barrels, um, but no demonstrable reserves. In Kentucky? In Kentucky. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. Heavy <laughs> oil, this is what I was really trying to say, heavy oil or bitumen <laughs> is not produced by itself, right? Mm. So it's, it's in the rock and we use the, the aggregate. Okay, so we use the aggregate to what, make roads? Correct. Okay, like um, asphalt roads. And yes. And like so the stickiness helps? Yes, so yeah. that's exactly right. So it's the stickiness, but it's the angularity of the, the type of sandstone and the sand grains that make it like perfect okay. for, for asphalt. Um, huh. it's you can lay it down and um, repair it without extensive heating um, it doesn't roll or buckle in hot weather. It's skid resistant, so it's like naturally ready to go. Whereas like <laughs> other places, you have to make it. Or you have whatever. to yeah do some other things to it that it's expensive to get good quality asphalt. Um, so that leads to some more tidbits about sort of the commercial side of that. Um, Kentucky rock asphalt, known as Kyrock, is one of the first asphalt road building materials used in America. Oh wow! Yeah. From Kentucky. Yeah. Primarily yeah. used in road construction. That's why all our roads are paved. <laughs> <laughs> road construction <laughs> surfacing from 1889 to 1957. Oh, wow. Right, so this, this, there was a company called Kyrock. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kyrock um, uh, Asphalt Company was the world's largest producer of natural rock asphalt from 1920 until it closed in 1957. Mm. Edmondson County was a leading producer during that time. Um, the material qualifies as a class A polish resistant aggregate, which is the most expensive material in asphalt mix. So it's like 
like that's kind of the it's like ready to go quality um there's a historical marker in edmondson county about kyrock um the first president henry st george carmichael what a name uh was the first president of Kairok from 1921 to 1949. Uh, this town of Kairok had 2,000 people. Hmm. Uh, there were hotels, a church, hospital, theater, post office. It was this bustling community for a while. Um, schools, water systems. It was an incorporated uh, town. Mm-hmm. Um, peak industry was 1923 to 1931, <coughs> producing 300,000 tons of rock asphalt. Um, shipped by boat first until they got the paving down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> shipped by boat along the Nolan and Green Rivers, That's all all over right the place. There by the uh, yeah. park, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this wasn't just like shipped around mm-hmm. Kentucky. Not this a went, small operation. This went all over the world, huh. um, which is kind of amazing. So it ended in '57. Does that coincide with like Eisenhower's interstate system and stuff? Like, there's the around the same time. Oh, good question. Right. The, yeah. Because there's yeah. the quarry in Louisville mm. that was used for the limestone rock that paved the interstate. Oh really? Yeah. So like I wonder. Yeah. They went yeah. from like one to the other when they. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. Um, yeah, super cool. It's very cool. I mean, it went up north, Illinois, Michigan. Uh, I think it went out of the country, mm-hmm. you know. So the, the materials the material. that were mined. Yeah, yeah. there yeah. was mined in Kentucky. So they mined or quarried or, you know. If it I was believe it's all surface. Like surface mining. Surface mining, quarries, yeah. Yeah, wow. So uh, last here, a couple of super <coughs> fun tidbits. The first asphalt ro- road constructed in the United States was in Santa Cruz, California mm. in <laughs> 1868. That's not related to Kyrock, but that was the first asphalt road that was ever here yeah, in the yeah, U.S. In the U.S. 1868. Um, Kyrock material was the first ever material laid. Now, I, I maybe need to confirm this. Um, first ever material laid for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is the uh, poster running of the yeah. Indianapolis 500. Which Matt knows nothing. I'm a big fan. <laughs> My dad would be proud that I'm presenting this factoid <laughs> on the show. So this all led up to the <laughs> right. <laughs> really, that's story. the it's thing I wanted to say the most. <laughs> uh, so, but that's super cool. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's all I got on Kyrock. You know, I think we could do a, a deeper dive on it, perhaps. Tarsian's episode because I always thought about this as being a potential resource, which is one reason I think we study it because it's big in Canada. Um, you know, they're there are large oil deposits or tar sands that they mm-hmm. mine and produce yeah. from. So, um, Rick Bowersox is a petroleum geologist here at the Kentucky Geological Survey. He's an expert in this. Yeah, um, a lot of I, I didn't talk to him. He was out. But um, he's written several excellent KGS publications mm-hmm. on tar sands in western Kentucky that go into like the science, but also a lot of the production history. A lot about about Kyrock and the town and, and oh all of that. Yeah. So um, I urge people to check those out. Yeah, Neat. I mean it's kind of funny. We, next to the near the Earl, the where our core store, there's the Asphalt Institute that I see every time I drive in there. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering if there's some connection ah, our right. extensive history oh, of yeah. asphalt because I always wondered why right. that was there. Right, it's a good um, point. But anyway, 
I had one more connection as well. Yeah. Um, being where it was, I've I've driven through Kyrock. I know I can't like place it right in my head right now, but yeah, it's right by Mammoth Cave, and Carmichael, who you mentioned, there's a oh. Carmichael entrance to Mammoth Cave oh. that's man-made. Um, oh. That would be probably around that time. You said twenty something. You know he did it. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so, uh, there's some connection there too. I'm yeah. sure. And Chelsea Henry's used to work at Mammoth Cave, so I'm sure she would yeah. be well aware of it. Henry St. George Carmichael. Yeah, quite, yeah, quite a name. Sounds <laughs> wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> you can have your own entrance to Mammoth yeah. Cave <laughs> with Someday. that name. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, our next question, That's I think good. we can all chime in on, um, is from Corey Black Eagle in Lexington. Mm-hmm. We know Corey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His question is a two-parter. What area of geology are you paid to do, and what part of geology do you love to do on your own? If they are different, what do you get out of each? So I sort of interpreted this uh, as sort of our role in accomplishing sponsored projects here, so funded projects, versus our responsibility to do outreach and professional development. For example, um, much of my salary goes to a FEMA-funded project I'm working on right now. Um, This is a grant I submitted for and was awarded, right? So FEMA's providing us money to do work. Uh, we're doing land size susceptibility and risk in Eastern Kentucky. So that's, that's what I have to do. I've, I've got deliverables, uh, we're making some maps, we're writing a report, we're disseminating data to some particular counties. Doug, you, you all have been on sponsored projects, right? Those yes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's requirements there, all, all, all sponsored projects, funded projects are different, but generally that's like what we're paid to do Mm -hmm. partly then there's outreach Uh, outreach is written into our job responsibilities Uh, each of us has probably different amounts of of outreach and professional development percentage in our um, you know job responsibilities but like it would include things like this podcast right we're reaching out to people i think with useful fun oh yeah this is information (laughs) 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 Uh, you know other things i try to think of um, I'm on the board of the Kentucky Association of Mitigation Managers. It's uh, kind of related to what I do as a hazards geologist and landslide stuff, and it's a great group. I love being a part of it. I'm not paid to do that extra. I just it's do it. I just do it. Uh, our involvement with GSA, mm-hmm. uh, the Geological Society of America. Lots of people give talks to schools. So those kinds of things I would put in, like you know, we do on our own so to speak yeah yeah mm-hmm. does that sound right mm-hmm. yeah okay sarah oh um i think similar thing so what am i like uh, paid to do what is my official position here um i'm in the water section and i manage the groundwater data repository for the state um and that is actually like required by law yeah written in that we have to manage this database um and so that is what I'm paid to do, and I love data stuff. I'm kind of like OCD and, and whatever, so it fits my personality in that way pretty good. Um, as far as like what I love to do, I think falls along the lines of what you were saying about outreach. Like I really love a lot of citizen science projects. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lot of opportunities for that here. Mm-hmm. Um, I 
work with the Association for Women in Geoscience, mm, right. you know, and so like I'm also sort of active in other organizations like you were saying, um, the Kentucky Speleological Survey, which manages cave data for the state, um, a lot of cavers in general. So like my hobby is caving and I do that for fun on the weekends. Um, but the survey or any type of sort of sampling and data collection that we do, um, that's sort of citizen science. Cavers are your big, is a big giant group of citizen scientists. So um, that's my, that's yeah, my favorite I, thing. I'll add one thing to that. I think it's beneficial to our trajectories here at state surveys to help other people out on projects. Like, so it's not your paid project, but if you had a project going and need help in the field, yeah, I got a day I can go out in the field and, and help you. Like that's, I don't know, it's maybe not the same thing, but I like doing those kinds of yeah. things and it makes me a better geologist and uh, helps people out. So, you know, that's part of it too. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, so I, my job is to manage a section here at KGS, the um, geologic information management section. Mm -hmm. um, so I manage people, um, have, uh, six people I think <laughs> it's changing <laughs> lately but um, a number of people in my section I also oversee our earth analysis research library where which is where we store our core um, so a lot of my day-to-day -day is management um, and that sort of thing and then under me um, uh, I have a lot of fantastic people working on uh, I also oversee our IT mm -hmm. um, and data base management and um, uh, data management and, and that sort of thing. So um, so that's kind of my, I guess, my day-to-day. -day, but what I really enjoy working on, I mean, kind of similarly is the outreach. And a particular part I really enjoy is, and where I worked a lot on is delivering data to the public. So um, particularly through web services. So right. I've done a lot of the map services and data services that we have that you can access online. I really, really enjoy doing that and thinking about how people access it and talking to users and tweaking, <laughs> getting complaints and then <laughs> fixing, yeah. you know, because we're, I feel like we should be really responsive to what mm -hmm. users want because sometimes you don't know. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's boasting to say that many groups are envious of our online geologic map service <laughs> and how good it is and that's that's all you doug and oh, so it's, like it's not all well the data is really really good and yeah. that's not me but sure yeah but <laughs> under <laughs> the underlying yeah but yeah. putting it all together and, yeah, and yeah, serving yeah, it yeah, and yeah. and like you said constantly asking what works for you what doesn't work for you yeah, uh, yeah. with these services yeah um, so i, I you know, it's not so much geology because it, it's thinking about geology in the sense of how do people want to consume this information. So I have to think about how the geologic information is conveyed to the public. And part of that we do on this podcast. Yeah. It's just a different mm -hmm. way, but um, I probably enjoy that the most. I also really enjoy, so I have a lot of non-geologists in my section. One thing, my one of my favorite things to do is take them out the field right so that they get you know they work on a lot of geology stuff and um it's kind of funny because it, it's wonderful to hire non-geologists because they think about things differently um, <laughs> but it's nice to show them this is what rocks are <laughs> in the field and what we do and um so i 
you know, that's another part that I. Yeah, that's great. Plus, I never get to go outside. So <laughs> time to do that. But you do have the <laughs> best field trips. They are good <laughs> field trips. Maybe the only yeah, good right. field trips. <laughs> Sarah's an honorary member. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's rapid fire through a few more questions here, Doug. I'm gonna. These next two are for you. Um, why are there no dinosaur bones? Oh, th this is from Avery, mm -hmm. age nine, in mm -hmm. Lexington. I, I believe Avery is Rebecca Fraser's daughter. I think so. But, yeah. <laughs> who Rebecca is, uh, helps us publish this podcast and edit edit this yeah, podcast. Does our socials. So if you like our social media, yeah, a lot of it. She's Rebecca. really good. She's really, really good. good. <laughs> this is from Avery. Uh, why are there no dinosaur bones in Kentucky? Oh, yeah. Well, it's the age of the rocks. So as the biggest reason um, we have very few rocks in Kentucky that are of the age of dinosaurs. Most of our rocks are much older, way older, way older. Yeah. Um, we do have, there's a small sliver in Western Kentucky of, um, of Cretaceous, I think um, rocks and near land of the land between the lakes. Um, but there's no dinosaur bones in those rocks. I think, because they're marine sediments, so they're, um, you know, they're in the ocean, and oh, right, and and also it's such a small um, area of rock that you know to preserve dinosaur bones would be very difficult, and such a you know to to <laughs> have the chance of preserving dinosaur, you know, if there's swimming dinosaur critters, mm -hmm. um, so we just have we just don't have the that age of rock in Kentucky. Um, we got a lot of fossils. Lots yeah. Of so um, the the dinosaurs lived, let's just say, sixty five to one hundred and ten. Yeah. Ballpark it. Yeah. Million one twenty years ago. Our we don't have that. Like you said, we don't have those ages of sedimentary rocks. Mm -hmm. So that's the what the Triassic to the Cretaceous. Mm -hmm. During that time, wherever Kentucky was on planet earth or what we now know as kentucky on planet earth there wasn't the right activity for deposition and there might have been actually more erosion so yeah we just yeah. we don't that's kind of the big picture why we don't have those sedimentary rocks here yeah i mean that's a good point is uh, much of kentucky may have been exposed to the air um, during that time so right. we didn't get a lot of deposit but most of your deposits of sedimentary rock occur in the water. Um, you know, there's not a lot of of above surface deposits, so right. that could be part of it. So, yeah, it's a very good question. Good mm -hmm. question, yeah. Avery. Second question from Alden, age seven, Lexington. Yeah. I also believe as an offspring <laughs> of Rebecca Fraser. I have an Alden question. Oh, oh yeah, you do. Okay. <laughs> we let the Frasers in on this quite a bit, didn't we? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> uh, what is the oldest specimen in the atrium display cases at KGS? Uh, so I think it's the meteorite. Ooh. Some of the meteorites. Um, I don't know the ages of those, but typically meteorites are as old as the solar system. Um, listen to our meteorites episode. Listen to our meteorites episode because <laughs> we probably talk about this a lot more than we will right now. With Ethan, yeah. <laughs> If it was so, that's that's the answer. If it was a fossil, it's, I don't know what the oldest fossil is, but it's a Ordovician yeah. marine invertebrate that's on the order of four hundred yeah. million years old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great question. 
Because, you know, oh, yeah, it's me, right? Good questions. Good answer. Sarah. Yes. This is from also from Alden, age seven in Lexington. <laughs> is quicksand real? If it is real, how does it work, and where do you find it? <laughs> so that's uh, a super fun question. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, weren't we all scared of quicksand? Totally. Yeah, yeah. T- I'm still scared. <laughs> I, but where is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so on the lookout. <laughs> is it under my bed? Always. <laughs> it is a real thing. It is a real thing. So it's just, like, super saturated, like, fully saturated sediment. Um, so sand in this case. So sand grains. Um but you really won't like sink it. It's like it's not gonna swallow you. Okay. Um, Good to know. What I have heard is that like quick clay, which would be smaller sized grains or particles, is like you actually kind of can sink in that one. <laughs> so yeah. maybe that one's scarier. Um, but it's a real thing. Um, I saw that it was found in deltas of big big rivers. Hmm. Um, but actually, this was a thing that. I some caver friends of mine were chatting about um, at one point and found out that it is also common in canyons out west. So if you're going oh, canyoneering yeah. or something, okay. you might come across it. Um, but it sounds like it's just a nuisance more than anything. Yeah. Is yeah. thixotropic clay the same as quick clay? Have you heard of that? Oh, what? Thixotropic clay. Oh. There, there's there's oh. some of that in western Kentucky. It's like this really mm-hmm. spongy, elastic oh. uh saturated kind of clay it's like bouncy hmm. you don't sink in it but it's right but it's i think it's maybe the same thing it like depends on like the weight to the surface tension sort of thing mm. i think i also think if you have an earthquake you would you liquefaction yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Up it's kind of liquefaction. Mm. liquefaction yeah mm-hmm. type yeah. of feature yeah that's um, yeah, a great question this is a super fun question next question sarah this is from an open uh, earth science open house attendee i don't have a name how many gallons of water is in the earth? That is a very big question, and it took some math to figure out. Um, All right. So the number that I found online for the total was actually given in million cubic miles. So <laughs> I started with 332.5 million cubic miles of water mm. on the earth. Um, so all, that's all water. All water. No, okay. Yeah. All water. So, so fresh. Yeah. Yeah. So ninety-six and a half percent of that water is in our oceans, and mm-hmm. it's salt water. Um, you wow. also have almost one percent, point nine percent is also like sort of brine or salty water. It's not. It's not consumable. Um, so out of all of the water on Earth, only two and a half percent is fresh water that we can drink. How much of that is tied up in glaciers? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> so out of that 2.5%, um, s- almost 70% is t- oh of wow. that is tied up in glaciers. Mm. So that's we're getting smaller and smaller so there. So what's actually left in rivers and lakes mm-hmm. is groundwater. Minuscule in groundwater. Right, yeah. right. So groundwater is your next largest component mm. with about 30%. Um but that would be like deep groundwater, and it could be buried or underground for some time. Thirty percent of fresh, fresh water. water. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. And then only one point two percent of the two and a half percent is in our surface, sort of our atmosphere, living things, rivers, swamps, marshes, our soil. 
um, that's where the rest of that water is. Um, it also includes in that ground ice and permafrost, uh, again, not consumable really, right? Yeah. So um, let's see. So in gallons, um, that initial number that we started out with for total uh, is 366 quintillion gallons. Whoa. I had to like figure out what came after quadrillion. <laughs> oh, I've never heard of that. <laughs> so there's like 18 zeros after that. Um, out of that, nine quintillion is fresh water, nine quintillion gallons. So that's still a lot. Um, but we get down into quadrillions when we get into what's in the Earth's surface and what's in the atmosphere, um, which is still an astronomical amount, yeah. right? Yeah, um, but still, it's, you know, a small percentage. Uh, you know, when, uh, when I was teaching at Georgetown, Doug, you, did, yeah. you taught yeah. geology there too, and I did the groundwater, you know, uh, lesson. I had that slide up there, that pie, pie chart mm -hmm. of, of this, what we're just talking about. Exactly. And the slice that's domestic water supply is minuscule mm -hmm. and that was always fascinating yeah it gives you people to see perspective of yeah oh, okay this is why we need to take care of yeah mm -hmm. the, the amount in the hydrologic budget that yeah. we can use is all your freshwater fish and yeah yeah things that we live in there there is six times the amount of water in the atmosphere as there is in our surface rivers oh, wow. wow oh yeah okay yeah. So there's, uh, I think that's one thing that we really don't think about a lot is yeah. how much is tied up in our atmosphere. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Oh. I think the USGS just published an updated hydrologic cycle mm -hmm. uh, map or uh, diagram, yeah, like a diagram figure. Yeah, it's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good job, you all. Um, last question for all of us. Uh, this is from Dylan from the Open House. Where? My name is Dylan. Uh, is there any good hiking trails with specific with specific geological formations that are really cool? Mm. Um, I'll go first. Um, I thought two places. One, the Pinnacles. Yeah. Uh, which is just southeast of Berea. Uh, the Pinnacles is a plot of land, I guess. It's owned by the college. I believe mm -hmm. it's owned by Berea College. Yeah. Great trails. Um, that go up to the tops of these knobs uh, with spectacular views. So knobs and narrow ridges with great views both west toward um, in the central bluegrass and view east towards the coal field and Appalachian Basin. So it's spectacular views at the pinnacles, um, ridges and knobs capped with Pennsylvanian sandstone and conglomerates. Right, so clear these cliff-forming uh, conglomerates are exposed there. Um, it's There's all kinds of trails. It can get crowded, but there's some trails actually you can find there that, that are less traveled and, and get you up on some ridges that you won't find a lot of people and still have spectacular views. Most people go to East and West Pinnacle and look out but um parking's great um easy to get to not far from lexington it's just a great spot the second thing i had was jump on any trail in the danube national forest in mccreary county mm. south of burnside mm. so take That's like great, yeah. 27 south like to somerset go across the lake go past burnside and just uh, fire up your your all trails uh, <laughs> app, <laughs> and 
and find some some trails off of that little stretch of 27 south of Burnside. It's like, it's a beautiful part of the Daniel Boone. Mm-hmm. You'll get a little, it's like a little Red River Gorge-esque, um, not as dissected maybe, and not there's not as many arches, but it's like a lot of cool relief, big sandstone blocks, and it's like pr- beautiful valleys, and it's definitely not as crowded as the gorge on a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. Um, Cliff forming sandstone to conglomerate still, but but it's really cool geomorphology there and and um, yeah, that's my other recommendation. Nice, yeah. What about what about you? Uh, yeah, those are really good. Um, can't beat, you know. I mean, you mentioned Red River Gorge and trying to get mm-hmm. away from mm-hmm. it, but there are some really good oh hikes yeah. in the gorge, yeah, and yeah, arches and that sort of thing that we've talked about. Um, uh. Two I had were, um, one's more for your imagination, but Big Bone Lick is a neat park. Mm -hmm. Um, They found these, you know, we were talking about the lack of dinosaur fossils in Kentucky, but um, we have a lot of mammal fossils from the Pleistocene, the Pleistocene, which is much later than dinosaurs lived. So things like mammoths and I think saber-toothed tigers and mm-hmm. things like that. And Mastodons, sloths. Yeah, and these were found um, by mm-hmm. Lewis and Clark um, at Big Bone Lick, um, which is along the Ohio River, kind of in north, northern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really neat park, um, and they have a nice, a really nice museum and yeah. the plastic animals outside. <laughs> yeah, so it, it recreates. Yeah, it recreates the scene mammals. Yeah, they're big plastic things, and they're yeah, like in the in the salt bogs, like drowning. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a probably good depiction of a salt lake, though, because you're like, what is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like what a salt. And then um, later on, it was important for buffalo. Mm-hmm. It's a state park, right? It's a state park. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's a great little yeah. park, and we actually have a story map about um, oh. about mm-hmm. uh, Northern Kentucky. Lake. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Northern Kentucky, but yeah, and Big Bone Lake's included in that. So mm-hmm. I like that one. Um, and it's not highly visited. It's right. Um, actually, that's that's probably a little bit of quicksand going on there. Right. Oh, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. It is real, <laughs> and that's why the bones are there. They. Yeah. Sunk. Um, the other one is it's just a really neat park, but it's it's far away from Lexington um, Breaks Park. Mm. Oh, that is um, such a neat Breaks Interstate. Yes. Breaks Interstate Park, which is a shared park between Kentucky and Virginia, way in eastern Kentucky. Yeah. Um, and it is very cool. It's got a big gorge, and yes. it's really pretty, and it's a nice getaway. Good camping. Good camping. Um, There's a bunch in that area. That's really yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. You got a spot? Um, I'm always going to say Mammoth, Yeah. right? So there's a front country and a back country to Mammoth Cave, and you can really get, depending on what you're looking for, either um, there in the front country or the back country. In the front country, you have a lot of shorter um day hikes or you can fit in multiple of these in a single day um all the cave tours are on the south side of the green river and so that is the most visited place that's where the visitor centers are um and there's lots of little short things besides a cave tour if you're not going in the natural entrance for a cave tour you can walk down to the natural entrance there um, you can go visit Floyd Collins' grave. Oh. Um, so there's like some cultural things you can do. Uh, just going into the visitor center, which is not really a hike, I guess, but um, fantastic museum. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, going see Matt's map in there, too. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, my map's in there. <laughs> oh, it was. Oh. I, is it still maybe? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Famous. <laughs> I will also plug. I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the Mammoth episode that you you were the guest, but backcountry at Mammoth Cave, just in general, is like awesome thing to do. Seventy miles. Yeah. Of trails. Yeah. In the backcountry. The surface backcountry hiking is yeah. awesome Excellent. there. Not many people take Anything. advantage of it. I don't that think. was. It's the opposite, right? Yeah, like they yeah. are longer hikes. You can do a, a day, a long day, or multi day. I like because you can reserve a site for backcountry camping, which mm. is kind of nice. Because I don't know if you're not big into backpacking. Yeah, I think it's part not. of the stress is knowing where your site's going to be in this way. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- that would be mine. Would be Mammoth Cave. Good one. Cool. Good and job, you, you all. We'll, we'll do maybe one. I don't know. How many ask us anything? Should one a year, maybe? Yeah, one a, a year. A couple of year. One. I yeah. don't want to <laughs> overwhelm. <laughs> the, the but it's good. But uh, if you, I, I, I would say if you're listening to this and you have a question, just yeah. anytime send it in and right. maybe we'll squeeze it in or we'll at least put it in the next episode, yeah. I guess. Yep. Good job, you all. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Yep. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Rebecca Frazier for technical support. If you have ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening.